First Peter chapter 4, verses 12 through 19 is God's word for us today. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share in Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you're insulted for the name of Christ, you're blessed, because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you again that we can gather. And in so many ways, Lord, I'm grateful for the, the stream of thought in our songs. You have given us a foundation to rest upon in you and your word and your perfection and your sovereignty. And you are with us, refining us. And you are the creator who is sovereign over all and we can rest in you. And all we have is Christ, and we still say use our ransomed lives in any way you choose. And we love you, Lord Jesus, for the sacrifice that you made on our behalf. You know what it's like to suffer to the glory of God and to the good of God's people. And so, Jesus, we trust you. This morning, as we look in this text, open our eyes to hard truths even as we trust you more and more. And that's our prayer in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. <clears throat> Not long ago, Paul Tripp wrote a book on marriage. And I don't know if I like the book or the title better. The title of the book is, What Did You Expect? Think of how smart that is. For a marriage book. What do you expect marriage to be? Did you, married people, did you really consider what it would be like when two sinners in need of the grace of God have their lives molded and squished together into one? Did you think that would be easy? Yeah. And, and if you did, yeah. For a few minutes. Now, for those of you who are single, it makes me think of a scene in the seventh Harry Potter book. Harry and his two best friends are going around the countryside on a dangerous, deadly mission, and it's not going well. And Ron, Harry's best friend, gets mad, and he starts to whine and complain about it. And then Harry asks him perhaps the best question in all of those books. He says, what? Part of this isn't living up to your expectations. And the point was, I mean, we're embarking on something that might kill us all. 
They're going up against an impossibly smart, impossibly powerful enemy. How did you think this was going to go? Did you expect this to be a laugh? Well, in many ways, the book of 1 Peter is a letter to Christians intended to sweep away false expectations because Peter wants the church to know that it, yes, is a great, glorious blessing to have the grace of God and the love of Christ and the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And that's true. That is good, isn't it? Yeah. But Peter is not a fool. He can read the weather. He can see the storm clouds on the horizon. Nero, Nero is an evil madman on the throne and the winds of change are blowing and Christians really have never been popular in the empire over the past 30 years anyway but they're about to face a time when it gets even harder Christians we need to hear this stuff we need to learn from this stuff God is good yes God is in control, yes? yes? And eternity is going to be filled with joys that go well beyond anything we could ever imagine, yes? yes? So it's worth it to be a follower of Jesus Christ. But this life's going to be hard. And we may, in fact, suffer according to the will of God for the name of Jesus Christ. And we can't hide our heads in the sand and pretend that this is not possible. We've got to get ourselves ready. So this morning, this morning, we're going to find a set of four points in this passage. This is us wrapping up chapter 4 of 1 Peter. We are, we are crossing, dear friends, under the home stretch. This is the last section of this letter. Uh, I would expect three sermons, this one and two more, Lord willing. So let's look in here at suffering according to God's will. Point number one, if you're ready, expect persecution. Expect persecution. 1 Peter 4, verse 12. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. Beloved, don't be surprised. Earlier in this chapter, by the way, Peter said that the lost around the Christians are going to be surprised when Christians won't leap with them into their same sins, their same debaucheries. Here, Peter tells the Christians, you don't be surprised at what's headed your way. Well, what are the Christians facing? They're facing a fiery trial. Painful persecution is on the horizon. And Peter sees it coming. He sees it in Rome. He sees it's coming his way. Over the decades to come, the persecution will start in Rome, but it's going to spread throughout the empire. And believers cannot let the arrival of hard times be shocking to us. The fiery trial, he says, is going to test the Christians as they face ridicule, as they face social ostracism, loss of jobs, imprisonment, even death, the Christians need to know this comes to test us. Is your faith for real or is it not? Because a false faith will crumble when hard times come. 
A genuine faith will be proved in the fires of persecution. And Peter says this is not strange. Now, how can Peter say persecution is not strange? Because doesn't it seem strange to you? How many of you have been through real persecution? One or two? Peter can say it's not strange because, listen to me, every voice preaching to the church in the New Testament from the foundation of the church has promised us that it will be normal for the church to suffer for the name of Christ. Matthew 10, starting in verse 16, Jesus speaking to the disciples says, Behold, I'm sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Beware of men, for they will deliver you over to courts and flog you in their synagogues, and you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. Down in verse 21 of Matthew 10, he says, Brother will deliver brother over to death. And the father, his child, and children will rise against their parents and have them put to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. Those are the words of Jesus Christ. In John 15, 18 to 21, Jesus speaking to the disciples said, If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they'll do to you on account of my name because they do not know him who sent me. Do you hear Jesus promising the church health, wealth, and prosperity? How about 1 John 3.13? John writes years later, Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. Apparently he says it's not a surprise. Paul says in 2 Timothy 3.12, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. What in the world is the promise the Word of God has just given us, church? Let's open our eyes. The word of God promises persecution. Peter told the Christians of his day that God's word promises persecution. And God wants you and me here in the 21st century to hear it too. Why does this feel so weird? Because you got to admit right now you're going, this is not a fun sermon so far. Right? Well... The problem with us is that we have lived in a season of relative peace. See, for the past couple centuries in the United States, religious persecution hasn't really been a major factor. No, I mean, 
I'm sure that Christians are ridiculed from time to time. Hollywood likes to take cheap shots at us. But not really to the point of major problems, right? Perhaps people will mock us. Maybe someone will go scrawl graffiti on a church building in the middle of the night. And we are starting to see some lawsuits come out aiming at Christian business people, trying to demand that they bow to the cultural morality or lack of morality. But don't you guys think that for the most part here in America, it's been more socially acceptable to be a Christian than to not? It has been for the past, hasn't it? In many towns still today, if you go to a small town, if you want to be a respected member of your community, you better belong to at least one church in that town. Even politicians find that claiming that they believe in some sort of God helps their polls. But what we need to remember, what we have to be awakened to, is the fact that it is normal in history for genuine Christianity to be met with persecution. Christians in the early church, in the first century, in the centuries of the church fathers, were burned alive. They were tortured. They were beheaded. They were fed to the wild beasts. This all happened under the rule of emperors like Nero and Domitian and Trajan and Decius and Diocletian who really formalized persecution. Well, Trajan, uh, Decius really has formalized the persecution. And they suffered for the faith. And they suffered for the faith regularly until the rise of Constantine in the 4th century. It was about 313 when an edict went out legalizing Christianity. So there were times in the first 300 years of the church that it was easier, and there were times when it was harder, but suffering for the faith in the Roman Empire was normal. Can you imagine living when it was normal to suffer for the faith? And religious persecution of believers, it it dwindled during the time of Constantine and for the centuries that followed, but it came back the more... Corrupt became the Roman Catholic Church. During the days of the Reformers, Christians were in danger of death at the hands of the followers of the Pope. In England, just to take as an example, from the years 1555 to 1558, there was a queen on the throne named Mary. She's now known as Bloody Mary. And she ordered the deaths of 288 men with some women and children. Why? Why did she order these people to be burned? Because they would not agree with her that the body of Christ was literally present in the Mass or that clergy should be required to be celibate. Mary gave the Protestants this and only this choice, recant or die by fire. According to the organization Open Doors, 215 million Christians face high levels of persecution right now. 
a quote from their webpage says, Every day we receive new reports of Christians who face threats, unjust imprisonment, harassment, beatings, even loss of family because of their faith in Jesus. Every month, Open Doors claims, 255 Christians are killed. 104 are abducted, 180 Christian women are raped, sexually harassed, or forced into marriages, 66 churches are attacked, 160 Christians are detained without trial and imprisoned. What do those numbers do to your head? For many believers, persecution and suffering is the norm today in our world. That's normal today. We've got missionary friends that we're connected to who are serving in Damascus. They're suffering. We've got missionary friends in Turkey. They're suffering. Suffering around the world for Christians is the norm, not the exception. And you and I, if we're not careful, will allow our comforts and the privileges we've lived with in the United States to lull us to sleep. We can't do that. Yes, in many ways, Christians in the U.S. have had it easy. But the Word of God tells you and me, don't be surprised when you face a fiery trial. We're not supposed to think that something weird is happening because suffering for the name of Jesus is normal Christianity. Do you get that? We've lived, if you live here, we have lived in a place in a time that is abnormal. But we must, as Peter tells the believers of the first century in Asia Minor, we must expect persecution. The faith, friends, this tells us that our faith is no game. This is serious stuff. This is, this is life and death. And if you choose to follow Jesus, you are choosing to lay down your life, to take up your cross and follow him. Don't let it surprise you. Expect persecution. Okay, Travis. That's enough of that point, right? We're supposed to expect persecution. Does that mean you want us just to live, live in terror? That's not what Peter tells us next. You think that first point felt weird? Point number two, rejoice in suffering. Rejoice in suffering. Verse 13 and 14 say, But rejoice in so far as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you're blessed, because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. Okay, so if you suffer, rejoice and rejoice because you're blessed. Does that feel weird? These are the commands of Peter to the church that he just warned, persecution's coming. Is Peter nuts? No. Peter is perfectly, otherworldly, biblically right on. So why rejoice? Peter says rejoice for one reason, because as much as you share in Christ's sufferings at present, you will share in his glory when Jesus Christ returns. 
Does it sound weird to hear that you're sharing in the sufferings of Christ? Does that sound funny to your ears? Don't let it feel strange. Peter's not about to say here that you're suffering as a sacrifice for the sins of other people like Jesus did. That would be crazy talk. That would be sinfully, unbiblically wrong. Peter told us in chapter 3, verse 18, Jesus died for sins once for all. But we suffer for the name of, we suffer for the reputation of, we suffer in the cause of Jesus. We suffer because we belong to Jesus and we want to glorify Jesus in a world that hates Jesus. That's why we suffer and that's how we suffer with Christ. We share his sufferings. And just as Peter has been doing all through this book, what does he point us to for our hope, for our comfort? It is the joyous expectation of the return of Jesus Christ to this earth. My my dear friends, Jesus Christ is one day coming back. And Jesus, when he comes, he'll be the judge of all. And Jesus, when he comes, will bring his children joy and glory and peace forever. Yeah, we might suffer now, but our reward at the return of Jesus Christ makes any pain we face here seem small. Matthew 5, 11 and 12, Jesus said to us, Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice, Jesus says, and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Or 2 Corinthians 4, 16 to 18. These are verses you should memorize. 2 Corinthians 4, 16 to 18. Paul says, so we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. You like that? How about Revelation chapter 2 and Jesus writing a letter to the churches through John says, Do not fear what you're about to suffer. Behold, the devil's about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested. And for 10 days you will have tribulation. Then Jesus says this, listen to the words of the Savior to the church. Be faithful unto death. And I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. God's word has always told us that persecution is coming our way. And God's word has always told us that the reward in eternity makes it worth it to stay strong even in persecution. Peter also tells us we can rejoice in suffering because we see that when we are insulted for Christ's sake, the Spirit of God is upon us, with us. 
God gives us His Holy Spirit to sustain us. Even in times of great hardship, the Spirit of God empowers us. The Spirit of God can empower you to go through, to live through, to suffer things you think you could never endure on your own. And He'll do that in order that we might glorify our God. In 1555, under the persecution of Mary, Nicholas Ridley and Hugh Latimer were going to be burned at the stake. And Nicholas Ridley said to Bishop Latimer, Be of good cheer, brother, for God will either assuage the fury of the flames or else strengthen us to abide it. I think when Peter says the Spirit of God is on you, by the way, that he's thinking of the words of Isaiah 11, verses 1 and 2. It's a prophecy of the Messiah that that predicts that the Spirit of the Lord will rest upon him. So get this. When we suffer for righteousness' sake, what we find is that you and I have the same Spirit of God upon us that Jesus had upon him. And that is glorious and that is comforting. So when we face hardships for the faith, we should rejoice. This is not because we love pain. We're not crazy people. But it's because we love the Lord and we love the reward of joy in the Lord's glory. Now let me say this to you again. This requires real faith. This requires that you actually believe that what is to come at the return of Jesus is of greater value than any comfort and any ease you get right here, right now. Do you buy that? Is your faith real? Is heaven your home? Is this life just the front porch on the real home you're walking into? If so, then live to the glory of God and rejoice if you suffer for his name. Third point, suffer for Christ, not for bad behavior. Third point, Suffer for Christ, not for bad behavior. Verse 15 and 16 say, But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. I'd love it if this point wasn't necessary. But I think you know it most certainly is necessary, isn't it? Just as Peter told slaves back in chapter 2 that there is no reward in sinning and then being beaten for it, here he says it to every last one of us. Suffer for Christ, not for bad behavior. Now the list of four sins in verse 15, it's, it's interesting The first three are all grammatically tied together with the fourth one set off. And and, and they're super obvious things, the first three, right? Murder, stealing, and practicing evil, those are things you're not supposed to do. How many of you are shocked by that piece of information? Not, right? And it is for sure, Peter says, if, if you suffer for committing murder... Don't think, oh, the Lord's going to reward me for the hardship I'm going through. If you sin and receive the judgment of this life, you get what you you deserve. 
What's interesting is that last word, meddler. Part of what makes it interesting is because it's not used other places and there's just no comparison in that era of Greek, uh, Greek, the Greek language, that history. But it really, again, some translations would say suffer as a spy, but it really does seem to be saying don't suffer for sticking your nose in somebody else's business. It's a good understanding. Peter has told us don't suffer for crimes. Don't suffer for violations of the law of God. That's obvious. Now Peter says, don't suffer just for being a pain in general. <laughs> Guys, I don't know how to say this nobly. I think you've seen enough of me to see that I'm a little discombobulated today, so my niceness is all messed up anyway. <laughs> Sorry about that. I'm a flawed, flawed human being. Just know that. I don't know how to say this nobly. No, no spiritual twist. Some people who call themselves Christians are just jerks. Do you know that's true? Again, sometimes it's me. But have you seen them? Some folks love just to stir up trouble. They like to cause trouble and sit back arrogantly watching it. Some folks, just by the way they carry themselves and the way they talk, they just I'm not here talking about those who offend people with the truth of the gospel. That's not what I mean. I mean people who offend people because they're mean-spirited or because they're, they're nosy or because they're judgmental or because they're just plain obnoxious. And here's what Peter's saying to you. If your personality is generally off-putting, if your actions are just annoying actions without spiritual cause, don't rejoice when you suffer for that. If you're a jerk and somebody pops you, don't look at the Lord and say, it's persecution. No, you got popped for being a jerk. Stop it. But then Peter says, if you suffer as a Christian, don't be ashamed. Glorify God in that name. In the first century, the word Christian was probably a derogatory term applied to believers from outsiders. The early church in the book of Acts was calling themselves the disciples, the believers, the followers of the way. Christian, which is a word that means little Christ, that, that, that's a word that was applied probably from people outside the church. And you can see Acts 11.26 or Acts 26.28 for places where that word is probably being used in negative ways. But Peter says, hey, don't be ashamed of, of suffering as a Christian. In fact, wear that word like a badge of honor. If you are genuinely serving Jesus, don't you dare be ashamed if you suffer. If someone says, oh, you're a Christian, fine. Suffer and rejoice in the blessing that is yours. You know, early in the days of the Jerusalem church, some of the leaders of the church took a beating at the hands of the, the officers in the temple at the command of the Pharisees at the Sanhedrin. Why? Because they wouldn't stop telling people about Jesus. They kept preaching Jesus, and so they got beat. And remember, folks, when I say took a beating, I mean the kind of stuff that blood is you, bruises you, and makes you regret you were alive that day. Listen to how they responded after their beating. 
Acts chapter 5, verse 41. Then they left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. When your life is the life of a Christian, and when you suffer, you can rejoice that God would think of you as somebody who is a follower, as a follower of his, worthy to suffer for his name. Just be sure you're suffering for Christ and not for bad behavior. Or again, my other way, suffer because of the words of Jesus, not because you're acting like a jerk. Fourth point, last point for today. Prove your faith through perseverance. <coughs> Prove your faith through perseverance. 17 through 19 says, For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. So Peter has he's pointed us here a few times to the, the idea of the final judgment again. And here, I think he's using the word judgment, though, a little more loosely. Earthly judgment and final judgment are being kind of commingled together here. We know that the judgment in the Bible can refer to the people of the world standing before the great throne of God as God pronounces final, ultimate judgment on all of humanity, the heaven or hell judgment. But in a case like that, Everyone who's part of the household of God, the true family of God, they're going to be found under the grace of Christ. But this verse, it doesn't smell exactly like that. There's something else going on here, too. We're seeing two things combined. And I think one of the ways, if you want to see what's being combined, what concepts are being combined here by Peter, I think you could actually mentally go to Malachi chapter 3. There's a section that begins that chapter. I want to read it to you, verses 1 through 5, that may clarify what's going on here. Malachi 3, 1 through 5 reads, Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver uh, and he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver. And they'll bring offerings in righteousness to the Lord. Then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord as in the days of old and as in former years. Then I will draw near to you for judgment. I will be a swift witness against the sorcerers, against the adulterers, against those who swear falsely, against those who oppress the hired worker and his wages, the widows and fatherless, against those who thrust aside the sojourner and who do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts. Okay, so, so, so that passage speaks of judgment. 
But it seems to talk in two ways, both of refining and of judging. And I think that the concept in view there fits mentally what Peter has in mind here with judgment beginning at the house of God. I'm not saying Peter's quoting this per se, but I think the concept's there. Again, we saw it in our scripture reading this morning, didn't we? Go mark everybody who's worried about the city. The rest are going to face judgment. And both are judgments. One is a separation of the righteous from the unrighteous, and one is a, uh, a judgment, uh, a punishment. Well, when the people of God face hardships in the real world, which we've said is coming, a judging of our faith happens, a proving of our faith happens, a separation occurs. When the fires of persecution come our way, your faith is either going to be seen to be true or your faith is going to be seen to be false. And if your faith is seen to be true, then the fire of persecution will refine you. It will hurt you, but it will purify you. When we suffer for the faith, our clinging to the petty things of this life will be less as we long for the return of Christ and the glories of his eternal kingdom. Does that make sense to you? If you were put in chains, if you were put in prison, if you were physically beaten for your faith, how worried are you going to be about whether or not you missed the football game? By the way, I like football, so I'm not picking on football folks. If you take a beating for the gospel, are you really going to be worried about whether you can find the pair of shoes that you've been looking for in your closet? Are you really going to worry about whether somebody didn't acknowledge you the way you wish they had acknowledged you for all the effort you'd put out? James 1, verses 2 and 3 read, Count it all joy, my brothers, when, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. It refines you. Now, there's another kind of judgment. It's going to be in the household of God. And it's going to be a separation of those who are around the household of God, but who are not actually children of God. It shouldn't have applied a ton in Peter's day. There wasn't a whole lot of social benefit for, being, for pretending to be a Christian back then, but it surely applies in our day today. Persecution, worldly disapproval, when that comes, that's going to lead a lot of people who say today that they're Christians, it will lead them to walk away from their supposed faith. And they'll be judged as they prove by their compromise that they never really were children of God. 1 John chapter 2, verse 19, John writes, They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they all are not of us. So, when the world persecutes the church and brings its judgments on us, it's going to prove who in the church is for real, and it's going to prove who in the church is just playing the game. And it's going to refine those who are doing it for real. But then Peter goes on and asks a question in contrast. 
And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Y'all, if the judgment of the world is painful for Christians, and by the way, can the judgment of the world be painful for Christians? Oh, yeah. Even if it refines us, it hurts. What then should those who reject the gospel of Jesus Christ expect? And Peter, he quotes very loosely Proverbs eleven thirty one while shifting it a little bit to make the application fit what he's talking about. He says, look, if you live as a saved person, it's hard. It is painful. It is through difficulty that you are saved. But to live in rebellion against the Lord, that's going to result in something far worse than persecution. To fail to obey the gospel results in hell. What does it mean to obey the gospel? Peter, Peter's used this language now. This is the third time, I think, in this book where he's used it. And he's referencing the glorious offer of grace from God. Everyone who will repent of their sin and believe in the Lord Jesus will be saved. And the command of God is that you need to let go, repent of your sin, don't be in control of your life, but surrender to the Lordship of Jesus. And the command to believe is that you place all the hope for all your eternity in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And if you haven't come to Jesus in faith and repentance for salvation, I urge you, please hear the call of God, hear the call of God and obey before it's too late. Because if it's hard for Christians to live in this world today, how much worse is it going to be in the eternal kingdom of God for those who turn their backs on God's offer of grace? Come to Jesus and find life today. But to the church, Peter then gives us a summary statement here at verse 19. Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Now, quick note here. Whose will is it that you might suffer in verse 19? Suffer according to the will of God. The Lord never sins. The Lord does not author sin. But the Lord in His decrees brings about all that comes to pass. And when we suffer for the name of Jesus Christ, we must know that even our suffering is in keeping with the sovereignty of God. And our God is refining us. And our God is working all things together for the good of those who love Him and are called according to His purpose to the praise of His glorious grace. And if you suffer as a believer, if you suffer for the sake of righteousness, which means you suffer in accord with the will of God, then there's two things you're supposed to do as we wrap up here. Two things. First, entrust your soul to your faithful creator. Does that sound like anything to you? Entrust your soul to your faithful creator? Does it bring to mind anything? I picture Jesus on the cross saying to his father, into your hands, I commit my spirit. Earlier in this book, Peter pointed out, when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. Chapter 2, verse 23. 
So we, when we hurt, what do we do? We better repeat our commitment of our souls to our Lord. God, even though I hurt, even if it costs me everything, Lord, I am yours. I surrender to you. I entrust myself, my family, all things, my soul to you. Have that ready for when you suffer. And second, we're supposed to do this while continuing to do good. You don't let suffering stop you from living to honor the Lord. You have been created for good works that will honor Christ, see Ephesians 2.10. So even when the world threatens to destroy you, you keep living to honor the Lord. Uh, Altogether, this means that we let our suffering give us the chance to prove our faith through perseverance. We press on to the glory of God and we show that we've made a break with sin and that we value the Lord more than we value our safety and more than we value our comfort and more than we value even our freedom. I feel burdened. I feel weighty right now. Do you you feel the weight of this text? I don't, I don't want this to discourage you. I don't, I don't want it to make you run and hide. What I want, what I believe God wants, is that we would let the honest truth of what we face cause us to tighten up, to square our shoulders, to lean into the wind as we march forward. I heard one man once talking about potential of future persecution say to us parents, now is the time to pray that the Lord weave iron into the backbones of your children. Expect persecution, rejoice in suffering, suffer for Christ, not for bad behavior, Prove your faith through perseverance. Cling to the Lord. Cling to one another here in the church, by the way. And let's walk with our eyes wide open. Yes, we face a difficult future, and I I really believe that's true. I wish it weren't, but I know it is. But the glory of Jesus Christ and the hope that is ours at his return is worth more than anything you or I could ever, ever give up. Amen? Let's pray together. Lord God, you know there's a weight and a seriousness to this. I think about the words of the Lord Jesus looking across to 
the very disciple who wrote this text we've been studying and saying, Simon, Simon, Satan is asked to sift you like wheat and I've prayed for you. God, I do pray for you to protect us. We don't want persecution and hardship. We'd love to see this nation repent. We'd love to see this nation turn. We'd love to see our land be healed. But I don't know what you intend by your decree. So if, Lord, persecution is on our horizon, don't let us fear, but let us be strong. Give us a strength that we don't have in ourselves. Give us the Spirit of God on us to be able to say whatever, whether it's peace or sorrow, it is well. It is well with our souls. If anyone here doesn't know you, God, I pray that you not discourage them with the hardships that are to come, but let them see the truth that our only hope is you. Be glorified, God, we ask in Christ's name. Amen.